This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Angela Chick. Angela is an illustrator and designer with a love for colour and kindness. She, she creates unique gifts and greeting cards for people who care about other people. So I first heard about Angela on a post by Holly Tucker, where she was talking about the fact that Paper Chase owe Angela £22,000. Um, I don't know about you, but I didn't know that Paper Chase had gone into administration and I can imagine what that meant to some of the small businesses that supplied them. And Angela has really bravely, I think, agreed to come on and share her story with us. Um, we talk about other things as well, um, but this is a big part of the conversation and um, really interesting, really eye-opening. And she also talks about things that small businesses can do to protect themselves going forward. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Angela. So hi, Angela. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Vicky. Oh, you're so welcome. Could you please start by giving an introduction to yourself, your business and what you sell? Absolutely. So my name is Angela Chick. I am an illustrator and designer and I run my own gift business. Um, where I sell products that I put my illustrations on. Everything's nice and bright and colorful um, for lots of gifts for friends. Yeah, thank you for that. And looking at your messages, I've, um, your website, sorry, I think all the messages on your products are really positive as well. That's the sense that I get. It's like a really, yeah, upbeat, positive place. Yeah, doing my best to help people spread kindness and show that they're thinking of others. That's really nice. So can we start by talking about how your business got started, please? Um, yes. Well, it's it's kind of hard to say where the exact starting point was. But um, if anyone's ever read my bios that I share online, they'll know that when I was eight years old, I said I wanted to be a starving artist or an entrepreneur. I probably said entrepreneurial or something because... I didn't quite, I, I mean, I also thought that starving artist was literally the job title uh, for artists because I, I didn't, I didn't get at that point that you could make a living from doing art, although it is rare, I suppose. And it definitely takes a lot of hard work. Um, I was very creative all through school. I spent a lot of time in the art room. Then when I went on to university I decided that I had to st I, first I started um, sort of a fine art and graphic design mixed degree and it wasn't quite for me I was a lot more crafty at the time and then I swapped over started doing a textile and furniture design degree um, which I really loved I was making everything out of fabric anyway at the time um, but I was always being told that I drew too much. And I came to move over to the UK. You can probably tell I'm not, um, well, I was born here, but not raised here. Uh, so I left Canada, moved over here and continued my textiles degree, but was still told I drew too much. And um, then I started making products. I think I started, first I was screen printing a lot because of my textiles degree. Were you screen then, printing onto fabric? 
yeah so I was screen printing um sort of t-shirts and baby clothes and tote bags and I did the odd poster and stuff for bands at the time um then that was going quite well and I at the time I was living in Brighton and my screen printing studio was closing down so I thought okay how am I gonna get my designs onto things without a screen printing studio you know I lived in a tiny flat there was no chance I was setting up my own studio at the time um and then I started thinking about putting it on paper and I think I started with sort of a handful of greeting card designs so maybe five six and it kind of just went from there really Amazing, thank you. And was so right at the start when you were selling your tote bags and clothing and all your screen printed items. So these were your illustrations screen printed onto products. So at that point, was it like how, what my trying to ask? Had you sort of set, set it up as a business and was thinking, okay, this is my business, or were you selling products but while sort of pursuing other things? Um, coming out of university, I went straight into a job as an artist in residence, working with young children. It was a pretty full-on job. Um, I, I was working full-time on that, but then outside of that was when I was having the time to make my products. I think it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted, well, since I was eight, apparently, <laughs> um, that I wanted to be my own boss. And I never really questioned at the time that that's what would end up happening, that one day I would sell my products full-time. Um, it got to the point, which was amazing, uh, in 2012 at my old job where I had to put my notice in because it was getting to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. So I was sort of running myself ragged, trying to work full time and then spending evenings and weekends working on the stuff I wanted to sell for my own business. And it was a bit of a make or break situation a big uh, commission came in at the time which I decided you know that was that was time because if I was trying to work full-time and do this it was a big bespoke wedding collection um, of loads of stationery and sort of um, baby onesies to be worn at weddings like lots of really cute stuff Um, and it was massive it was a huge deal at the time and I thought this is it I can actually I can quit my job now and go into it so that was almost 10 years ago now oh wow and so was that commission so was that from a company who were asking you to do these designs on their behalf is that how that works yeah so it was um a a sort of quite a a fancy wedding boutique um that approached me and it was a well it was a baptism of fire into the self-employment world or the freelance artist world, because uh, I did all the work and they never paid me. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so it was um, it was definitely a, a fiery first few months of uh, having quit my job. And then this big commission fell through. Um, yeah, sort of left me questioning for a bit what I had done. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And what happened? I mean, what was the outcome? Were you able to take them to small claims court or did you just pass it down off to experience? What did you do? At, I kind of ended up having to put it down to experience. At the time, I had no idea um, where I stood. The person who ran the boutique just disappeared. And, you know, I mean, I felt pretty bad for myself, obviously, but... <clears throat> I felt really bad for the brides who had been left with no dresses like days before their weddings. So um, I wasn't the only one affected. Sorry, I'm just getting over a cold. So I'm a bit croaky. Don't worry at all. That's awful. Wow. Okay. And what what a horrible experience for you to have, like literally in your first few months of running your business full time. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, it was a bit scary. I'm not surprised. And so what happened from there? Um, after that, I realized that I had to make some better contracts. <laughs> First of all, um, I stopped taking on new clients without any payment up front. Um, and I, I worked really, really hard 
to do whatever I could to just keep going. Because at that point, I think I was a bit, it was a mix of being really stubborn and also, um, I guess, determined. I think that I find stubbornness and determination to be quite similar for myself a lot of the time, especially when it comes to my business. Um, and it's what's kept me going because I, I was too proud to say I failed at this. I didn't want to have to go back to employment after being finally reaching a point where I thought, oh my goodness, I can actually do my job full time. Uh, so it was, um, it was a very tricky first few months, but I ended up making it through with lots of hard work. And at that point, were you mostly taking commissions as opposed to selling products? My product-based business was getting off the ground. I was working on a lot of commissions at the time, um, anywhere from drawing cats and dogs for veterinary practices to band posters um, and T-shirts. So it was it was a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I started selling on Not on the High Street. So that had started to take off. It was nowhere near providing me with a salary at the time. But it was growing and I could see that month on month it was growing. And I kept having this, this sort of hope that it would continue in that way. Luckily, 10 years later, it still has continued in that way. So it's now got to a point where it's, um, apart from some things going on, it's been mostly smooth sailing. <laughs> Good. And was Not on the High Street the first place you sold your products or what did your website predate that? I had, at one point, I had an old big cartel website and I think I had five products on it. At the time, I don't know what it's like now, but at the time you could have five products for free. Anything over that you had to pay for. So I had like a couple tote bags um, and some baby clothes. Uh, then I think because of Not on the High Street, my products got into Vogue magazine, wow. which was really exciting. I was doing these cute little, it was inspired by my old job as an artist in residence with the kids. And I had done these little t-shirts that came with colored pens for fabric and the kids could color in their own t-shirts and you know, then wash them and do it again and wash them and do it again. And so those, uh, those got picked up by Vogue and they were, they were really popular for a while. So that was definitely a big boost. Um, but that was sort of a mix of not on the high street and my own website. I was trying to run them to say that my own website at the time was anywhere close to my not on the high street sales. Definitely not even close. I think that's to be expected though really um I think most people who sell on another marketplace as well as their website often they find that the marketplace sales at least initially are more simply because it's easier to find um but actually getting onto not onto the high street is really impressive as well I don't know what it was how many years ago was it that you was that 10 years ago when you started selling there yeah I don't know what it was like then, but I know now certainly there is a bit of a process to go through. Um, was it the same then? There was definitely a process to go through. Um, I'm not quite sure what the process is now. I know it, the the most recent I heard, it, they sort of run almost like a pitch event. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't have to do that, luckily, at the time. Um, I did have to apply and go through. It was quite quite a deep process to uh, become part of it and I'll never forget how proud I was when I found out that I had been accepted because it it just blew my mind you know I thought oh my goodness this is it this is it I've done it and uh, yeah so I, I'd say as much as I um, was trying to sell on my own website at the time not on the high street at that point was was my main breadwinner I'd say yeah I think well, that does make sense because I, I mean it still is now but so I, I think as well thinking back 10 years it was it was a really popular place for, to shop wasn't it absolutely and the only reason I say 10 years ago is I think now a lot of people maybe think of Etsy as well as not on the high street but this 
I think this probably predates Etsy, probably. Or if not, it was, I don't remember Etsy being big 10 years ago, but I certainly remember if I wanted a gift, I would be going to not on the high street because that was where you'd get all the unique things that, yeah, funnily enough, you wouldn't get on the high street. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think Etsy's been around quite a while over in the United States, but it took them a while to get as popular over here. Whereas now I think people would definitely think of Etsy when they think of, you know, finding unique gifts. They know that that's sort of the, well, as it is the handmade marketplace. So it's definitely a lot more popular over here now. Yeah. And does selling a lot on the high street prevent you from selling on other marketplaces? Because again, I know that used to be the case, but I'm not sure now. Um, it, it really depends. So I, I can sell on my own website and I can sell on Etsy. Um, obviously if I have products on both of those sites, they're going to be competing against each other. Um, and you know, I couldn't have designs that I had on not on the high street in high street stores. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if that's changed. Um, I have had things in high street stores, but not things that were available for sale and not in the high street. So I would try to honor that as best I could. Sometimes it happens where um, a company that I supply will then sell things to another company or it might end up that they sort of find their way onto the high street but I do usually have some notice of that happening yeah that makes sense and we will talk a little bit more about wholesaling um a little bit later if that's okay yeah um one thing I'd love to talk about there's two things I'd talk about let's talk about your products a bit if that's okay as well as where you sell them um where do you get your inspiration because as I said before your products they're bright they're colorful they're happy you've definitely got your own style um I feel like after spending lots of time looking at your Instagram and your website I could probably pick something out as being yours now I think um um, where where do you get the inspiration for them um it all most of it comes from my own experience Um, I've struggled with poor mental health over the years. And when I've been at my lowest, there's been some things that people have said to me that have really, you know, hit home, made a difference. Um, There, there's ways that especially, well, everyone found during the pandemic, obviously, they wanted to keep in touch with people who are far away. You know, I think as we get older, our friendship group goes from that, which is, you know, we're all in the same sort of place. And then we get older and we spread out. And I just wanted to create things to help people tell other people how they were feeling or that they were thinking about them. Um, Hopefully to help brighten up their days or products that if someone is having issues with um, how they've been feeling low mood and anxiety and things, things that tools I've learned from therapy that have helped me over the years. And so I'm hoping they can help other people as well. Thank you for that. And and did you, did your products, did you see an increase in product sales during the pandemic when we were in lockdown? Because I can see that your products would have just been perfect for that. Absolutely. Uh, I was really nervous as many small business owners uh, would have been when when we learned what was going on um but because there were so many people that were stuck at home and couldn't go to the shops and wanted to reach out to those people that they were missing or those people who were really struggling and feeling isolated um it was it was my busiest year ever um which, which is great, obviously. It's hard to follow that because it's, it's now a very different world since things are open and inflation is what it is. Um, but it was, it was an amazing year for me. And the best part of it for me was um, receiving messages from customers who had bought something to give to a friend who was having a hard time 
and they were saying this is exactly what they needed and thank you so much it's made a big difference and you know people couldn't necessarily find anything like that that was out there so it made me feel really good that I was able to help them it feels like a big responsibility to be helping people stay in touch with people they love and um make them feel good but uh I like to think that I'm helping a little bit with that oh you definitely are and that's really lovely and also I guess practically then were you in a situation where your suppliers were still in production were they or did they have to shut down at all I was I was lucky all my all my suppliers stayed in production throughout there were extended lead times um as staff were spread out physically yeah um but it it managed it ended up working out okay because I think everyone was a lot more understanding that there were so many things that were out of people's control so there were a few times I had to extend lead times or put something out of stock for a while uh, but it ended up being okay for the most part I wasn't too affected Oh, that's good. And I think you're right that at that time, like that was the case for, I want to say 99% of businesses, but probably all where we, everyone was affected in some way, whether it's supply or logistics or whatever it was, um, because everything was just so stretched, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was a, it was a wild time. It was. Um, and I actually just out of curiosity so when you so you mentioned first of all you were using somewhere to screen print your products and then obviously you moved to stationery um how did you go about finding people to produce your products because also you have your pins as well so it's not like they're all being made in one place so what was that process like it takes a lot of research um for small business owners that make products I think there's there's always going to be people that say, oh, well, where, where do you get this made? Where do you get that made? And it's taken me like years and years of researching to find suppliers that work for me that can do with my designs what I need them to do. And it, it's not going to be the same for everyone. It's also cost me quite a bit of money to do all that learning you know, when you have to place a minimum order of say 200, 500 products with a new supplier without seeing a sample, it gets pretty scary. Um, but yeah, just lots of trial and error. And then once I found the ones that worked, I've, I've stuck with them as best I can. Yeah, that all makes sense. Thank you for that. I think you're right. It does take a while to find the right people to work with because I guess it's not only well it is obviously it's a lot to do with the quality of the products as a massive part then it's also the relationship as well and can you work together and I think that's something that people sometimes don't think about in the outset that hopefully this is going to be like a really long-term relationship yeah absolutely I think the more that you work with a supplier the more they understand your needs um the more that you understand how each of you works you know it, it works both ways I think um, I find it really helpful. The, the longer I've worked with certain suppliers, you just know what to expect. And you know, you're not going to be disappointed when the product arrives, you know, you're most importantly, you know, your customer is not going to be disappointed. Yeah, that's obviously a huge thing. Um, and let's just change subjects for a while, if that's okay, Angela, and talk a little bit about wholesaling. So I'm really keen to speak to you about that. Um, can you share with us sort of how and why you got started wholesaling your products? Absolutely. So um, when it got to a point and I was selling on, not on the high street, Etsy, my own website, as well as licensing to a few companies. And can I just ask, sorry, Angela, there's a good interruption there, but what does licensing mean? I'm sorry if I'm asking silly questions. But no, that's absolutely fine. Um, I don't want to take for granted. I kind of just take for granted that people know the the language of the industry, but not everybody does. So uh, with licensing, um, a company will come to me and they will say, okay, we want this design, this design, this design. We'll then um, work to a contract that says they are allowed to use this design 
in this way and this way and this way. And that is it. And this is the cost to use that design only in the way specified for this length of time. So they're not buying the copyright. They're not allowed to say, um, uh, so a couple companies I work with are Moonpig and Thoughtful and Scribbler. And I'll have different designs with them because obviously they're all competing against each other. But if I have designs on Moonpig that nobody can get anywhere else, and I have designs on Scribbler that nobody can get anywhere else, and designs on Thoughtful, um, that obviously works better for them, and it works better for me. So I will agree with them that they can use that card design and sell it as a card, so they can't then take that design and put it onto a t-shirt or put it onto a mug or anything else. They can only use it in the way specified. And then... I provide the artwork, I, I sit back, and then I, I get a paycheck every, well, it depends on if it's quarterly or monthly, uh, for all the, all of the sales through those licensed artworks. Really well, wow. thank you for explaining that, because I wasn't sure exactly what that meant. Okay, that sounds like a really smart way of doing things, because I guess, um, other than obviously coming up with the designs and making sure the legal things are in place, you can after that sit back because it's down to them to actually make the sales print the cards and all yeah, of that the, side the thing I like best about well there's a there's a lot of things that are very attractive um when it comes to licensing first of all I don't have to hold the stock so um I have a packing room that's full of products for me to send to my customers that order on my website or through Etsy or not on the high street um but I don't have to hold all the stock of those other designs it also means that I get to focus on doing the thing that I thought I would be doing more of as someone running a creative business, which was I actually get to do the illustration and the design work. Uh, it's, it's pretty surprising how little of that I spend my time doing as someone who calls themselves an illustrator. I don't just get around, I, I don't just get to sit around and draw pictures all day. Most of what I do is admin. So when it comes to licensing, for me, it's just, it's so nice to work in that way because I get to do the fun bit and then hand over the rest of it to someone else. That makes total sense. And I actually didn't think about that, the fact that, yes, I guess once you've done a new illustration, I guess this is after, that's probably the fun bit, but probably presumably like the shortest amount of time, because then you've got to do all the things in terms of getting it put onto products and uploaded to websites and yeah, into production. And yeah, I'm guessing the illustration is probably a tiny part of what you do in reality. Yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking how little of it I get to do. I thought that, you know, I think when I first went into it, I sort of romanticized the idea of like, oh, I'm just going to get to sit at home in my pajamas, drawing all day. And I, I know that loads of people can work that way. I am not one of those people. I have to get up. I get up very early and I have to get dressed and get, get my head in the game. Um, mostly because I'm looking at a lot of spreadsheets and emails <laughs> throughout a day instead of drawing. So Oh, well, thank you for explaining all of that. If if you don't mind, let's get, because I, re- I did really interrupt you, but I'm glad I did because that's so interesting. Um, so yeah, forgive the interruption. Um, so you were just talking about wholesaling and I think you were saying that you started licensing your products first. Yeah, so um, I, I then, I guess the sort of natural progression was how can I, how can I get these in front of even more people? Um, so I started contacting some independent boutique stores Because obviously, if I'm spending as much time as I was packing up individual orders to individual customers, if I could spend a similar amount of time packing up bulk orders, now obviously with wholesale, you make less money on it, but you're selling a big chunk at one time. So I wanted to get myself out there. And I started started with just a few very, very small independent stores and it was great it was it was so exciting you know I I worked through all the rules of wholesale that 
I don't know how most people learn, but it's it's something that they just don't teach you, obviously. Um, and it's kind of different for different industries as well and different products as to, you know, what kind of discount people will expect, what kind of minimum order you should charge. And it's a lot to get your head around. So I thought that um, I would sign up to do a trade show so I could get myself in front of as many buyers as possible. It was, um, I did top drawer. I can't remember which year it was. That was my first one. I was an absolute mess. It, it totally broke me um, mentally and physically and financially. <laughs> I just didn't understand at the time quite what went into a trade show. And, you know, three, four days, however long the show is, standing on your feet, putting your best face forward, um, talking to people all day, uh, it gets exhausting. And I'm quite introverted most of the time. Well, around people that I don't know, especially once you get to know me, it's a different story. But um, it was just so draining. And I had sort of thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to have these big contracts with these big stores, you know. And I can remember how it would feel on the floor of the trade show when like the big stores would walk past. You'd be like, oh, my God, that's the buyer from, you know, Paper Chase, John Lewis, any of the any of the big ones that you'd see. You'd just get it would be so exciting and you could sort of see everyone with their pick me face on. And and um, I, I walked out of that first show. I think I think I got one order for like a couple hundred pounds for a show that cost me like a few grand. So it's like, oh. Well, there we go. <laughs> that wasn't quite what I expected. But uh, it it got me, for, I learned a lot from it, first of all. Um, nothing quite like standing at a trade show, talking to a potential customer and then telling you that your prices don't actually work for the industry. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. That would have been good to know before I signed up to a trade show. I was going to ask actually, what were some of the things that you learned? So I'm assuming, because I'm assuming you've done trade shows since, and I guess for everyone listening, who's perhaps thinking of doing trade shows now that they're happening again this year, um, what kind of things did you learn and what things do people need to think about? Um, I'd say most importantly is to make sure you choose a show that is definitely going to have your target audience. Um, I, I didn't have a great time. There's, there's been shows, they've been really hit or miss. I've done some really incredible shows. Uh, I've done some absolutely terrible ones where, you know, you see, you look up and down the aisles of the show and there's just no one. There's no buyers walking around yet on the social media Shows are posting, oh, it's a really busy day here at in, insert trade show here. And you're looking around thinking, am I somewhere? Am I in the wrong place? But um, it's, it, it's a great opportunity to go and meet other people in your industry. You know, for me, I work from home on my own five days a week. I don't have any, I don't have any colleagues to talk to at the water cooler or while the kettle boils and um, it can get kind of lonely. So being in a position where all of a sudden, all of these names that you recognize from maybe Instagram or wherever you may TikTok these days, I guess. Um, all of a sudden you get to meet these people and put faces to names and, and it's, it's really quite nice. Um, you get to learn that, Although, you know, we're all in competition, everybody's pretty friendly. And, uh, you know, we had great times. We'd go out for meals after the shows and talk about how it had been and, and everyone would catch up. So you kind of get a nice social element as well. Um, 
I also, I think I would, I would, I tried to do things as cheaply as I possibly could every time I did a show. And I think I'd stick with that. Do it as cheap as possible, but make sure it looks good. Because cheap can look really, really bad. And it can fail quite miserably. Um, but yeah, also take breaks and drink lots of water. <laughs> oh, really good advice. So in terms of how it works, do you get like a booth or something that you need to fill or does it vary? Yeah, most of them you book a space sort of by square meterage. So, um, you know, larger companies will have larger booths, obviously. Um, but you can have, so at Progressive Greetings Live, which is the greetings card industry specific show, um, I think you could have as small as a two by one meter booth. And some trade shows have um, sections for companies who are just starting out. So you'll sort of be in a middle area uh, with a small sort of plinth almost. Um, and those are quite good for if you are just getting started and you want to you want to dip your toe in without costing a fortune. I think a lot of people, if it's your first show and you're new to the industry, definitely, definitely go for the new area, the newbie area, because lots of buyers will go straight there because they want to see what's new and what's coming up, you know. So it's a great place to be if you want to get seen by as many people as possible. That makes sense. And I also guess like, if you're starting out and, you know, your portfolio is maybe still fairly small, it makes sense to have a smaller space as well. Because what you don't want is to have a bigger area and um, it to look quite sparse because that probably doesn't give a great impression. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, I've also gone the other way and I've probably overfilled you know, at times when I should have booked maybe like a four by one space, I went for a two by one or a three by one. And I have hundreds of card designs. And um, I think, yeah, I've probably gone the other way as well. So you want to find that nice balance where people can get a good idea of what you're showcasing, but also not be overwhelmed. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you obviously need to be on top of your figures and things as well before turning up. Yeah, it's uh, I cannot stress how embarrassing it is to be asked about figures that you had tried to remember. I guess it's a bit like when they go on Dragon's Den and they just don't know their numbers. Um, you, you know, you might get flustered, but I ended up having just like cheat sheets I mean, now it's different. I, I know my product line. I've, but, you know, going into a show where I had, I can't remember how many new products I was launching and I, I just couldn't, I'm not much of a numbers person and I, I just couldn't get the numbers in my head. So I was, I was really flustered, really struggling, stumbling over my words, just feeling really overwhelmed as this buyer's just looking at me like, uh, you should surely know this. I'm just thinking, oh no, but there's like 20 new things that I just don't know yet. I take it it doesn't matter if you have it written down. Surely they don't expect you to know everything off the top no. of your head. No, and when I had help on a stand, I had it written down for them anyway. And it's 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 pretty understandable. You know, you can just hand them a price list as well, which is obviously the easiest way to do it. Oh, that's that's really that's a really good tip, actually. So you can have some price lists printed up ready. Yeah, a lot of buyers will ask for catalogs and price lists. That's good to know. So after that first experience at Top Draw, what happened then? Well, um, I tried desperately to follow up some of the contacts I'd made at the show. Um. I then realized that maybe that wasn't the show for me at the time. I think it would be different if I went back now for many, many reasons. Um, but I then, I then discovered PG live uh, and it was, it was smaller. It was 
it seemed much more friendly. Like you, you spoke to the people who organized it. You saw them around while you were setting up. It was a much different atmosphere. Plus like they had, you know, all the buyers loved it because they provided lunch and there was a party on the first night where they gave you free drinks and, um, it just seemed a much more relaxed atmosphere. Um, so I did, I did a few years worth of that. And, uh, and I was growing my wholesale customers more and more each time. And then you'd also have people who had seen you at the show who maybe weren't ready to buy then, but then would come to you sort of, you know, six months later, say oh I don't I don't know if you remember saw you at PG live back in June and um it it got to a point where it was becoming quite a good chunk of my business which I had I had decided I wanted to do that I wanted to focus on growing wholesale and um licensing because of the fact that it would allow me to have basically more income for less work and I guess more time to be creative as well and do what you actually enjoy yeah absolutely the less time I was spending stuffing envelopes and I mean at the time I had my I used to do all my card folding my cards used to come to me flat and then I'd have to fold them and pack them and then that got too much for me and I realized well I'm I'm not adding any value to this (laughs) this is busy work fine you can put on Netflix and watch something while you're doing it but um it was taking me away from the things I really wanted to be doing and I think that as I grow I want to do less of those things and more of the things that I know I enjoy and that I do add value to I want to be spending my time designing and coming up with new products not not necessarily doing all of the product prep and the, the more boring stuff yeah and presumably you can get your cards to come to you folded for example that's something your printer can do yeah I um I swapped suppliers uh once I started doing trade shows I changed suppliers to a more professional grading card supplier I mean the printer I was using in the early days they were great but I was using them because they were a local printer to me and they could do greeting cards, but it wasn't like that was what they, that wasn't their focus. So it wasn't necessarily their strong point. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so while we're talking about wholesaling, do you mind talking a bit about the experience you've had with Paper Chase? And you can share as little or as much as you want about this. I just think it'd be good to um, get, well, for many reasons, as people will see, just to get, to get the story out there, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I know I mentioned when I talked about trade shows that when the big buyers would come by, there would almost just be like a hush over everyone at the show. You know, we'd go from like talking and telling each other jokes to, oh, here come the, here come the big guys. We need to really behave and smile nicely. And, um, And the Greeting Card Association actually did some pitching events as well, where you could, it was like a speed dating with buyers kind of situation where, you know, you you paid, you went to this event that you could speak to other buyers. Um, I think you got, yeah, you got the chance to speak to three and they would choose you. So you'd sort of sit there. It was like a mini trade show. You'd sit there with your cards out. And each time, you know, you, you go into these, you sort of set your goals. So you've got, you know, your A, B and C goals. And it was always like, get, get paper chase, get paper chase. Like, obviously that's, that's the greeting card store in the UK. You know, you want to, you want to be in there. Um, I was, I was supplying another big company at the time, Scribbler. Um, and I thought, okay, they've been great to work with. I really want to work with Paper Chase as well. And nothing ever came of any of the shows or the pitching events. But then in early 2020, 
I had an email from one of their buyers saying that they loved my products and they really wanted to get me into their stores. Now, this was pre-lockdown and, you know, it was very early 2020. So um, we started working together. They said they wanted to do a focus on my thinking of you cards. So they chose a selection of my designs that were nice and bright and colorful and all about friendship and keeping in touch and making people feel good. Spreading joy, as their tagline says. Um, so throughout 2020, I, I just felt, first of all, I felt, oh my goodness, this is it. I'm now in paper chase. This is like my dreams since I was in university, you know, when I'd go shopping in paper chase and look at all of this cool stationery and be like, oh, wow, maybe one day. But I was, I was in there and I was doing really well. They were placing loads of orders with me. Um, and the first few invoices they paid. Now, obviously with what was going on in 2020, loads of stores were having to close and um, struggling with that quite a bit. Paper Chase had quite a good online platform. Um, so, you know, they were still able to sell. But towards the end of 2020, they stopped paying my invoices. And I chased these up. Now, the first time that some of them weren't paid, I, I chased them up and I chased them up. Didn't hear anything. Chased up the buyer I was working with. Uh, they went on to chase the accountant and then magically I was paid. The next ones I chased up, it didn't go so well. Um, at this point, I was owed 22000 and a few hundred so quite a bit of money, big chunk of money. Um, and no matter how much I chased or however many payment reminders I sent, they just weren't, they weren't acknowledging me. They weren't, they weren't giving me anything back. It was like I had been ghosted by the entire accounting department and buying team. So, um, December 2020, and I take a few weeks off over Christmas to sort of recover from that crazy year. And my first day back in the office, and I, I read a news article that Paper Chase are going into administration. Um, I didn't really know what that meant for me at the time, so I started researching. And I soon realized what kind of an issue that was going to be for me. But I hadn't completely lost hope. So I, uh, I had a call scheduled with um, a couple people from Paper Chase. And I was offered, of the more than £22,000 I was offered, I was, I was owed, sorry, I was offered um, 15%, which was conditional on me going forward working with them. So basically, if I would agree to put myself at risk, of the same thing happening over again. I couldn't afford that. I was already really struggling because I had had to pay my suppliers ages ago. You know, they had um, very generous payment terms. So I was already sort of two months out of pocket from the orders they had placed. When their invoices would come due, the invoices which they weren't paying. So I decided I couldn't, I absolutely could not go forward and work with them again. Um, I, I just couldn't trust that this wouldn't happen again. And they told me that the 15% they were offering me, which was conditional on me giving them more credit, um, extended payment terms, uh, was a goodwill gesture, which that felt like a slap in the face. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, goodwill, do you, do you know what goodwill means? Like, I'm a small business that you owe £22,000 to. Um, and uh, so we started the administration process. And so what that meant is um, 
basically they got bought by another company at the end of January 2021. Uh, but they were still able to continue trading throughout this under the name of Paper Chase. So on paper, their business name changed. So legally, their debts go down with the old company and the new company doesn't owe those small businesses any money, which is, it's shocking because there, there is no law to support small businesses in this situation. And I knew that throughout 2021, they were still selling my products online, products they had not paid for. Um, they were still selling them in store because I would have friends message me pictures and be like, oh, look, I found you in Paper Chase, which it was really hard because, you know, thank you, obviously, for supporting me and buying my cards. But uh, in future, do you think you could probably do it from somewhere that's going to give me some money? So I, I did a social media post about it. And I didn't mention how much money I was owed. I just mentioned that they owed me money and I was really struggling. And um, loads of people didn't even know that they had gone into administration because they can, you know, nothing changed to their customers. Um, so fast forward a year and we still haven't seen any of that money. Um, we're, we're what are called unsecured creditors. I say we because it's myself and quite a few other small businesses. So there's um, Jelly Armchair, Hole in My Pocket, um, Dandelion Stationery, Sarah Ray. There's absolutely loads of us. And I decided that I didn't know... That, well, I knew that other small businesses would have been owed money. I didn't know how much. Um, when, when I decided to post about it, they started coming forward. And my post went as viral as any post has gone for me on Instagram. And suddenly I had all of these people reaching out saying that they were owed money as well. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is absolutely horrible. This is between just a handful being owed that many people that that much money from that few people and that's not even all of us um we've been really lucky since well i say really lucky it's not really the kind of reason you want to be um getting press because you're owed so much money but um the story was picked up by forbes magazine the guardian the observer we did a um, radio show with BBC Radio Scotland and so it's getting a lot of press there's a lot of people talking about boycotting paper chase um, and it, I mean I know that we probably won't see that money people suggest to us to go get our stock back well we can't this was back I haven't sent them anything since 2020 like they don't have any of my stock they've sold it they've got the money that they made from my stock um, but, you know, as unsecured creditors, we sit at the very bottom of, uh, of a big pile of people who are all owed money and we might see 2%, but who knows when, because it keeps getting delayed and the administration process takes such a long time. But now um, it looks like they're, the new buyers are selling the company. So it's been doing that well that they're able to sell it on again. But I'm hoping that by sharing the story... I can help other small businesses who might get into that same situation to sort of know what the risks are. I just didn't really, I didn't really know. I didn't see it coming. Some of the other suppliers saw it coming because they had had, um, they had had emails from them saying that they had to pause payments. Um, you know, they sort of knew that, something was going wrong basically but unfortunately we're just all out of pocket and might not get to see any of it that is horrible and thank you for sharing that I'm so sorry that's happened to you and to everyone else involved it's just shocking that and, and have um out of interest because I mean I know 
you mentioned there's been a lot of publicity um I think I actually became aware of you Angela because I saw your post on this and all the businesses had commented on it and then I saw that Holly Tucker did a post as well referencing it um so it's obviously had lots of publicity if if paper chase remained quiet through the whole thing have they commented or done anything at all uh every every article that has been written they've all tried to get them to comment and they've declined um and yeah you see so many on their instagram they'll post up they'll do some sort of cheerful post about spreading kindness or whatever and you just see so many people commenting yeah pay your suppliers pay your suppliers why don't you pay your suppliers why don't you spread some kindness to the suppliers you owe so much money um and it just it gets completely ignored you know you can see them replying to i know that the i know whoever's in charge of their social media is not the ex-ceo so, you know, I'm not holding them responsible here. But, um, yeah, they just don't seem to be able to get any sort of comment. So, yeah, clearly their strategy is let's ignore it and hope it goes away. Yeah, absolutely. They'll quiet down. They'll quiet down. Oh, well, I'm so sorry again that this has happened to you. And I really hope it does get resolved. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it will, but I hope it does. It's just, yeah, it's awful just seeing small businesses getting treated this. I mean, anyone or any size business getting treated badly, but particularly small businesses um, and particularly when they're still trading and presumably have enough money to pay everyone 10 times over. Well, I don't know that. I'm, I'm, I'm making a big assumption there, but um, I would say it probably wouldn't be an issue to just clear all your debts, would it? But yeah, I mean, that's what I would think. I think that if a company is successful enough to be opening new stores and refurbing loads of stores, um, yeah, they're probably, I mean, the thing is, it's pocket change to them. Um, they, they wouldn't notice it. And I guess in a way, that's maybe why they don't see why it's such a big deal. I don't know, but it just doesn't sit right with me that... Um, going into administration seems to be a bit of a it can just hit a reset button and I know that companies have used it in that sort of a way in the past and this seems to be what's happening is they just say well you know we're done we don't want to pay these debts so we'll just uh oh no go into administration and then oh, magically we're fine. And look at this, look at this new company. That's the same company. It's just, it's really dodgy. It is. And has it changed how you approach working with other companies now at all? Yeah, I think I'm a lot more apprehensive. Um, I mean, if you look deep enough into the terms and conditions of working with a lot of larger companies, it's really hard for a small business to do and to make money, which sounds ridiculous, but um, because they, they drive you down on price so much and sometimes they want to do sale or return. So you may end up sending them thousands of cards that if they don't sell, they send them back to you. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, obviously you'll sell them as well, but it's going to take a lot of time. You've got to store them somewhere. It's, um, it's, it's just, I think it's made me a bit more cynical, (laughs) less starstruck, more cynical, I think. And it just seems crazy to me that the terms and everything working, you know, for a large company are worse than for a small boutique shop, let's say, who presumably have maybe not more overheads, but, you know, they're also a small business. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange that small businesses can be so much more generous with their terms and the margin, you know, everything, um, when they're also a small business, whereas the large businesses, you'd kind of think they could afford to do that, but then, yeah, maybe yeah, that's why is. they're massive companies. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've never had any issues with my small business customers paying 
I think because they're just, they're closer to it. They, they may be a one or two person show as well. And, and they understand, you know, I've through sharing my story about this, I've heard stories of um, small stores that have closed down and the owners of those stores have paid personally out of their pocket to make sure that all their suppliers are paid and it might be taking longer, but you know, month by month they're working on those debts so that those small businesses that supplied them aren't out of pocket and you just see the you see the difference so much more it's I don't want to say it's more human but in a way I think when it's one person working with one other person you know there's a stronger relationship there's more accountability and I think there's just a lot more kindness and warmth. Yeah, I know what you mean when you say that more human, because when you were talking, I was thinking, I think the difference probably is that you're dealing with a person, not a company. So even if that person is has a business, is a is their business, they're still a person. Um, and I think that's I think that with larger companies, I guess even if you have a relationship with a buyer or somebody in that company, they're part of like a much bigger thing. Um, So maybe there's, maybe that's the difference. Yeah, I think you can definitely tell from my experience anyway, you can definitely tell. I mean, this, the bigger businesses that I really like working with, I like working with them because they have hung on to that. Um, You still feel as though you have a relationship with someone and you know who your point of contact is with something, if something goes wrong, but yeah in in other experiences it's been very different yeah I guess relationships are just the key to all of this aren't they yeah definitely well thank you so much for sharing that because I know it must be really hard to talk about and again so sorry this happened to so many people um I was going to say let's end on a higher note, but I don't know if it will be or not, but let's see. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you could please share your number one piece of advice for other product creators. I think that my my advice I would give to other product creators is to be selfish. Um, all of my products that have been my best sellers have been things that I've really wanted to make. So, you know, there's trend guides that come out all the time. And if you want, you can follow what's in those. You can, you can do whatever works for you. But for me, anytime I've had something that I've gone, Ooh, I don't know, is it going to work? I really, really, really want to make it. I think, I think that makes it a more authentic product. Um, The more personal my products are to me, the better sellers they've been the more people they've been able to help so I think um be as authentic as possible and be selfish and make what you want to make because if you're 100% behind it and you're really passionate about it then I think other people are gonna catch on to that and they're gonna be able to tell that it comes from a place of authenticity and passion Yeah, absolutely. And I also guess that if you're making a product that you really like, other people like you will really like it. Whereas I suppose if you're trying to do something to appeal to the mass market, let's say, not there's anything wrong with that, but what do they say? If you're talking to everyone, you're not talking to anyone. Is that the saying? I may. Yeah. I'm good at getting quotes wrong, but I think that's (laughs) the saying. But I think it makes makes sense that the people who resonate with you and your products really like I really um when I looked on your website I mentioned I spent ages looking at them because I'm also a runner and you have like your little running pins and cards and stuff so it all really resonated with me because that's what I like too so yeah. yeah I think um and and again that's a very selfish product I I wanted to do that because I I run a lot uh it's a big passion of mine and um I don't really like doing events much so I thought well what about the people who want to run and want some something to mark their achievement but maybe not a medal from an event so that was uh that was what inspired those well I think that's a great idea because yeah I'm exactly the same yeah yeah it really resonated 
Well, thank you so, so much again for everything that you've shared with us today. Um, Yeah, just thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. And hopefully I haven't, uh, I haven't rambled too much. (laughs) No, you haven't. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much, Angela. Thanks, Vicky. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.